After more than 30 years in the Senate, after 53 years since she first won elected office, and just months shy of her 90th birthday, Democrat Senator Dianne Feinstein has announced that she will be retiring from politics in two years. Senator Feinstein tweeted, quote, I'm announcing today I will not run for re-election in 2024, but intend to accomplish as much for California as I can through the end of next year when my term ends. Even with a divided Congress, we can still pass bills that will improve lives. And then when asked about her announcement, Senator Feinstein told reporters, I haven't made that decision. I haven't released anything. At which point a staff member informed her that she had in fact announced her retirement, which seemed to surprise the senator who then said, quote, I didn't know they put it out. It is what it is. I think the time has come. Senator Feinstein's political contributions have not always been positive or defensible or even coherent. But in honor of the longtime senator's retirement, I would like to play one of my favorite clips from her more than half century in politics, in which Senator Feinstein yelled at eight-year-olds for being too annoyingly liberal, even for her. Some scientists have said that we have 12 years to turn this around. Well, it's not going to get turned around in 10 years. What we can do is put ourselves at the faces of the people who are going to be living with yeah, these consequences. The government and is supposed to be for the people and by the people and all You know for what's the interesting about this group is I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. You come in here and you say it has to be my way or the highway. I don't respond to that. I've gotten elected. I just ran. I was elected by almost a million vote plurality. And I know what I'm doing. So, you know, maybe people should listen a little bit. Maybe they should. You tell those eight-year-olds, Senator Feinstein, especially that annoying teacher. Oh my gosh, the teacher who put the kids up to it. Diane Feinstein is a big lib and she's wrong about most things. But she is nevertheless long been one of the most reasonable and pragmatic members of her party. That is not a recommendation of her. That is an indictment of her party. But either way, depressing as it sounds, we are going to miss Dianne Feinstein when she goes. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Sean Hartzell, who says, There are always a bunch of candidates that jump in, but everyone knows most of them don't have a chance. That's true, but in this race, the point I keep trying to underscore is that it really is anybody's race, the 2024 GOP presidential nomination. I know, every because nobody likes anxiety. Nobody likes uncertainty. Everybody just wants to decide. That's why you're seeing all the GOP pundits. They've decided, okay, we don't really like Trump anymore. The next guy looks like DeSantis. Okay, we're all on board for DeSantis. Let's, I like DeSantis. I think DeSantis is doing a great job. I don't have anything negative to say about DeSantis, but I do have something negative to say about trying to end this race before it begins. This is not how primaries work, guys. This is why, this is why pundits usually get these things wrong is because they all jump at the first glittery thing they see and they don't realize that that political primary campaigns 
just move in waves. And, and at some point, almost every candidate rises up at least a little bit, and then most of them fall down. And at this time in the cycle, in 2016, in 2012, in 2008, the candidates who looked like they were shoe-ins to get the nomination were people who barely made it through Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina. They were not the candidates who ended up, who ended up making it. And so, yes, it looks like some of the people who announced maybe yesterday don't really have a shot. Don't count them out. This could be anybody's race. Now, when, when you're faced with uncertainty, one great way to hedge your bets and diversify your investments is to check out gold from Birch Gold. Right now, text Knowles to 989898. The U.S. blew through the $31.4 trillion debt ceiling last month, and still the White House refuses to reduce spending. With that amount of money, you could buy almost every home in the United States, pay for college for over 80 million people, and buy every sports team out there. Think about this. To dig our country out of this mountain of debt, every single taxpayer would have to write a check for $247,000. And it's only getting worse. If you're worried about the future of this nation's economy, you need to consider diversifying into something dependable. You need gold with Birch Gold. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Text Knowles to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold and then talk to one of their precious metals specialists. With an A-plus rating, with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, you can trust Birch Gold to help protect your savings. Right now, text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898. Protect yourself with gold today. That is Knowles to 989898. Speaking of grandmothers, following up on the Diane Feinstein story, speaking of grandmothers, there is a, a TikTok that went viral yesterday that is so beautiful. It's, it's heartbreakingly sad, but it's also really, really beautiful. We cover on this show, every conservative covers on every single conservative show, these TikToks of crazy young people pushing their radical gender ideology. And we usually make fun of them. Sometimes we have pity for them. This is my favorite one of these videos I have ever seen. It is of a young woman who is confused about her sex, who thinks that she's a man, reading a letter that she got from her grandmother. Hi, so recently I texted my parents because I'm going to go home for Christmas. And I said, hey, do you mind calling me Mike when I come back for Christmas? And then when I got home today, I got this letter from my grandma. And it is addressed to Miss Old Name. Not actually, but you know, I don't want to say my real name on the internet. Dearest dead name, on this, our blessed mother's feast day, I am writing to tell you that I will not address you as Mike. My decision is probably not a surprise to you. Others may comply with your request. My anguish in your chosen name and what that means has to do with your eternal soul. Know that I love you more than words could ever possibly convey to you. No matter how you decide to identify yourself does not change my deep love for you, honey. Because of my concerns for your soul and your mental health, I am spending more time with Jesus in adoration. The, my cousin's last names, are doing the same for you. Do you know how much you are cherished and loved? It would be a joy to see you and be with you during the coming Christmas. Um, a celebration of our Lord's birth. I previously believed that the perfect response to the transgender madness did not exist. I knew that there were some responses that were better, some responses that were worse. 
This grandmother just showed us the perfect response. This is it. This is how you respond to any loved one, any family member, any friend who tells you that he or she is now transgender and says they don't want to go by their real name and they want to go by some new fake name and they want you to pretend that they're the opposite. This is the response, absolutely flawless. And the girl, who's clearly in a lot of pain and confusion and has all sorts of mental and spiritual problems, I would imagine, too, she gives away the game at the very first part of the video. Did you hear that little bit? She did so unwittingly, but she said, I want to be called Mike, but my grandmother addressed this letter to Miss so-and-so. I'm not going to tell you what that name is because I don't want to use my real name on the internet. What'd you call it? I thought Mike was your real name. I thought that other name, you know, that you were born with, christened with, raised with your whole life, I thought that name was dead and gone, and that, but you just admitted that that's your real name because you know deep down that that is your real name. And, and you, you recognize that wanting to deny your real name is wanting to deny your real identity. And it might give you some kind of pleasure or temporary euphoria in escaping whatever problems that you have in your life, but it isn't real. And there's nothing compassionate about indulging fantasy. What the grandmother is demonstrating is some of the purest compassion I've ever seen, because compassion means to suffer with somebody. And she's saying, I have anguish, and I'm just going to uh, kiss it up, and I'm going to spend more time with our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. And the video goes on a bit longer. I had to cut part of it out just to fit it into the show. In part of it, uh, the, the grandmother writes, you know, some of your cousins are making personal sacrifices, you know, to sort of kiss it up and to, to also have compassion with you. It's absolutely perfect. That is real compassion. And I know it's very tempting. I've thought about it myself. Oh my gosh, what if, God forbid, one of my kids had to deal with some of these mental problems and spiritual problems? What, how would I react? And I know I would be very, very tempted to call my kid whatever name he wanted to go by and pretend he had whatever pronouns he wanted to pretend he had. I would be very tempted to do that because you just want to give your kid whatever he wants. My, my little boy comes to me, he says, I want chocolate. And I say, no, no, you can't have chocolate. Want chocolate? No, seriously, you want, okay, here's some chocolate. <laughs> this is very hard to say no to your kids. But that grandmother is the one exhibiting true compassion, true care. Speaking of women of a certain age and kids, Chelsea Handler also went viral yesterday. Chelsea Handler is an alleged comedian. Uh, she was subbing in on The Daily Show. She's made a big segment about how happy she is that she doesn't have any kids. This is a day in the life of a childless woman. I wake up at 6 a.m. I remember that I have no kids to take to school, so I take an edible, masturbate, and go back to sleep. I wake up at 12.30 p.m. and get ready for a busy day of doing whatever the f*** I feel like. I put on my most impractical and stylish shoes since I won't be chasing a child around the grocery store. I go to my fave spot in Paris to grab a croissant. I do a meditation sesh on the plane since I have no screaming kids, allowing me all the time in the world to become enlightened. The weightlessness of my existence has granted me superhuman powers. I teleport myself back home. Then I get ready for a night out with whatever hot guy I met on Raya that morning. 
I call up a babysitter and tell her that I don't need her since I still don't have kids. Now it's time for a workout, so I hit Mount Everest for a quick climb. I invent a time machine, go back in time, and kill Hitler. Freeze, you bastard! It's amazing what you can do when you have this much free time. And that's a day in the life of a childless woman. So everybody's reacting to this video right now. I think a lot of people are missing the point, though. And, and maybe Chelsea Handler's missing the point. I don't know. But, but what's interesting about this video is not what she says at the beginning of the video, which is she says, oh, I just do whatever I want. I wake up. I pleasure myself. I, I drink a coffee. I go back to sleep. I snooze the alarm. That's not what's interesting is what happens in the middle and at the end of the video when she starts just making stuff up and fantasizing. Oh, and then I fly to Paris and then I go kill Hitler and then I do this. And that because what she is demonstrating is that the, the promise of not having kids, the idea that you can just constantly amuse yourself and do whatever you want. And the things that you're going to do without kids are so much more important than all the all the, all the drudgery that you're going to have to engage in when you do have kids, that that is a fantasy. You can't really do all of that. Probably the only real part of that video is the first five or six seconds when she says, I, I sleep in late because I'm kind of depressed and I just pleasure myself a little bit. And then that's, that's, that's the reality of it. And then the fantasy and the delusion is what comes afterwards. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too deeply into this. I don't know that Chelsea Handler meant the video in this way. Almost certainly she did not. But that's what it's expressing. What it's expressing is the, the joys and delights that you think you are going to get out of shirking responsibility and denying your natural longings and, and turning your love only onto yourself and not giving it to anybody else. That's all illusory. That's not really going to happen. Now, when you want to prepare for you and your family, you got to check out Jace Medical. Go to jacemedical.com, enter code Knowles. If the last couple of years has taught you anything, it is that the supply chain is quite fragile. The FDA just declared a global shortage of medication and warned that critical antibiotics are an extremely short supply across the United States. We all had a good laugh when there were shortages of toilet paper. Remember, oh, tee hee hee. Then it got kind of annoying, actually, when, it, when, when our supplies diminished. And then there was that baby formula shortage. Remember, things weren't quite so funny then. What about when there's a shortage of emergency medications, such as ibuprofen? You need to be prepared for anything, and our new partners at Jace Medical are here to help. Jace Medical helps you get a long-term supply of prescription medication. It's a great way to start preparing to start with that Jace case. It's a pack of five different courses of antibiotics that you can use to treat a whole host of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinusitis, skin infections, and more. All you've got to do is fill out a simple online form. Your info will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. Be like the Knowles's. Be prepared. Get the Jace case right now. It gives you peace of mind. You can know that your family will have what you need during a crisis. I want you to be prepared for anything. China invades Taiwan. There goes the supply chain, okay? Go to jacemedical.com. Enter code Knowles right now at checkout for a discount on your order. jacemedical.com, promo code Knowles. George Bernard Shaw had a great line about that Chelsea Handler video. George Bernard Shaw is a socialist playwright who lived long before Chelsea Handler was born. But he had a great line about the, the kind of life that she's envisioning, saying, well, when I don't have kids, I can do whatever I want. He said, describing hell, he said, here there is no hope, and consequently, no duty, no work. 
Nothing to be gained by praying, nothing to be lost by doing what you like. Hell, in short, is a place where you have nothing to do but amuse yourself. And that is hell. We all know that. We all know that because we were all in school. And you remember in school, sometimes you'd get a week off, spring break or winter break or I don't know, whatever. And that sounded really great. You didn't have any schoolwork and you didn't have to wake up early and, that, and you could just stay in pajamas all day and play video games and do whatever you want. And it was really, really great for that first day. Oh man, it was fabulous. And then even that second day, that was pretty fun. And then that third day, you're starting to get kind of bored and feeling kind of gross and lethargic. By the fourth day, you start to get cabin fever. You start to, unless you were on some excursion with your family or something, maybe then you could be stimulated. But if you're just hanging around the house, like most people were, you thought, oh, this isn't great. This isn't fun. I got nothing to do. I I often go back in in these analyses of, of the problems of popular culture. I often go back to Grand Theft Auto, this, it was one of the few video games I ever really got a kick out of because it was just so over the top. It wasn't that you went and you did a mission and you, uh, I don't know, had a donkey throw barrels at squirrels. And it was, it was just regular people on the street. And your, your job in the game was to go rob people, kill pedestrians, run over people, pick up hookers, do deal drugs. It was just all the worst. It was so shocking. And there was, there was a weird phenomenon with this game, which is if you played the game and you were just kind of going around doing all the stuff that would titillate little teenage boys, rather quickly it became pretty boring. And, and that's what happens in real life too. That's the consequence of, of nihilism. When you just think there's no purpose to anything, we're all just walking around here randomly as a kind of cosmic accident, and then we're going to go take a dirt nap and turn to worm food then you become pretty sad. That's why I'm not going to make fun of the Chelsea Handler video, is that's just a terribly, tragically sad life. And it's not that you need kids to lead a a good, edifying, gratifying life. A lot of people can't have kids. A lot of people choose not to have kids if they take religious orders, the consecrated singlehood, or anything like that. But you, you do have to live your life for more than just sleeping in and pleasuring yourself. That will not make you happy. Look at Hunter Biden. You know, the proof of this is just looking at Hunter Biden. This is a guy with every advantage in life. He had a little tragedy without question when he was young, but he had a ton of advantages and he squandered all of it. And he did the drugs and he picked up the hookers and he sold his father's influence and he made a lot of money in shady ways and he just pursued his own desires. And he just, he just physically looks terrible. He used to be a kind of a good-looking guy. He now physically looks terrible. That is hell. Hell is the place where you have nothing to do but amuse yourself. Speaking of raising children, it's getting harder and harder to tell the difference between parody and reality. I, I was flicking through the social webs yesterday, and I see this representative from South Dakota, South Dakota State Rep, Erin Healy, and she tweets out, Extremist group Family Heritage Alliance said this morning that the safest place for kids are in families that have a married mom and dad. What a dangerous and un-American belief. And I, I assumed, before I reacted, I just kind of assumed this was parody. 
And I looked and said, Democrat, state representative. So they could still be parody. One of my favorite accounts on Twitter is Dr. Ann Lesby. And for a while, I thought this was a serious account. And then I started looking. I said, wait, Dr. Ann Lesby, is that something a little off about that? I don't know. Maybe it's a serious. These days, it's impossible to tell, isn't it? But then I looked. Erin Healy is a real person. And she says that uh, the idea that the safest place for kids is with a married mom and dad is dangerous and un-American. Because why? Because everybody knows that the best way to raise kids is in a polycule commune with three dudes, four chicks, two trannies, and a billy goat? Is that what we're saying? Does anybody seriously believe that? No, not even the transsexuals. Not even the billy goat believes that. Everybody knows that a child does best being raised by a mother and a father joined together in marriage, in perpetuity, for the good of the spouses and the sake of the generation and education of children. Everybody knows it. And I know there are some people listening right now who might say, well, no, it's not the best in every situation. No, it's literally the best in every single situation. Is it, is it better to be raised by a single mother? No, it can be done. There are heroic single mothers out there who overcome difficult odds if a husband walks out or something. But it's not ideal. It's not better than a married mother and father. Single father, no, not better than a married mother and father. Two homosexuals, no. Two lesbians, no. How do we know that that's not better? I know the libs now try to say, well, actually, you know, actually, so, uh, studies show that children raised by homosexual men, are do, they do much, much better they, on, every, on every measurement uh, than children raised in families. That's obviously not true. Because the implication of that is that women have nothing to contribute to child rearing. If that's true, if you want to try to make the lib argument that two dudes raising a child is as good or better than a family raising a child, then the inevitable logical conclusion of that is that mothers have nothing to contribute to the raising of children. Is that really anybody's position? Seriously? No. We're two lesbians. Oh, so we're really going to say fathers have nothing to contribute to the raising of children? Yeah, how has fatherlessness turned out in, in our society? Go look around the prisons. How has fatherlessness turned out? Go look around the school shooters. Has fatherlessness turned out really well? Go look at all the women on OnlyFans in all sorts of terrible sexual situations. Has fatherlessness worked out really well? No, of course not. Nobody believes this. But it's apparently a dangerous and un-American. No, the, the dangerous belief is the lie that children do not need to be raised by both a mother and a father. Ideally married, ideally their natural mother and father, though in some cases children have bad situations or the parents can't take care of them. And then you have adoptive parents take over, and that's a wonderful thing. But not a single adoptive parent, ideally, certainly not from infancy, not two dudes, not two chicks, a mother and a father, because men and women both have something to contribute to child rearing. This is a fact, and you don't need studies to back it up, and you don't need some mainstream media to write an article about it. We all know that that's true. We all agree with it. The people who say otherwise are simply lying to themselves. It's like that woman, that poor young woman suffering in the transgender video with the grandmother who says, I'm Mike now. I'm Mike. That's, I'm, I'm really Mike. Stop calling me by my real name. Oh, what was that? That was you admitting that you know this is all a delusion. 
You know, you know deep down, we all know we should be able to admit that as well. Speaking of the transgender madness, the most important story on transgender madness in many, many months, if, if not longer, has just been broken by the Crane brothers and David Cohn, by the, by the whole Crane and Company show. And you're going to think this is kind of surprising because Crane and Company is a sports show. Why is a sports show breaking a really important transgender story? I, I've heard about this story ever since uh, Jake and David came into my office the other day and, uh, and Blaine popped in too. They were, just like, they were all like, you're not going to believe this story that we have. It has to do with Will Thomas, that gigantic hulking dude who swims for the, the Penn swim team against the women. I'll cover it tomorrow. I'll give some analysis on it tomorrow. In the meantime, here's just a little teaser from the Crane guys. If we let it, there will be men pretending to be women that ruin women's sports. But ranking first was a person I had never heard of before. And of course, this name was Leah Thomas. Leah Thomas did, in fact, formerly swim on the men's team for three years. I thought, surely the NCAA wouldn't let this person compete with us. The NCAA official looks at me and says, great job, y'all tied, um, the trophy goes to Leah. And he said, well, for photo purposes, Leah has to have it. Wow. Leah Thomas, who used to be Will Thomas, is now dating someone that used to be a man that's now a woman and they consider themselves lesbians. Very interesting dynamic. The things they practice actively are interesting. They cut off parts of their mill parts, but left other parts. These testicles are in a jar. Stop. We were being sidelined to validate the feelings and the identity of a man. So the the body parts in the jar is, is pretty gross, and the weird uh, romantic relationship is pretty weird. The craziest part of the interview is not even in that clip. And I don't want to spoil it. Go watch it on Crane Co. The most significant, craziest part of the interview is not even in that teaser. Go check it out right now. Crane Company, the, the interview's out this morning. It's available to watch on their YouTube channel, or you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Daily Wire Plus, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Speaking of caring for others, let's get to the news story that matters. In my view, really the only news story that matters right now that the establishment media are refusing to talk about. That would be the poisonous train explosion in the town in Ohio that is affecting potentially 10% of the water supply of the United States, a ton of farmland in the United States, and the media are talking about little green men from Mars. They don't want to talk about this story. What happened here? How on earth did a train that was carrying all of this hazardous material a million, a million pounds of vinyl chloride, was it? Was it pounds or gallons? I don't even remember. A ton of vinyl chloride, along with all of these other really dangerous chemicals. Not only does it crash and start leaking into the town, they set it on fire, creating phosgene, poison gas from World War I, and hydrochloric acid in, in the atmosphere. Animals dropping left and right. Can you imagine the poison in this town and how far it's going out beyond the area? Why did it happen? Well, according to one local uh, hazardous materials specialist uh, nearby the site, not from East Palestine itself, but uh, from Youngstown, Ohio, they did it to reopen the track. We basically nuked a town with chemicals so we could get a railroad open. I was kind of surprised that when they quickly 
told the people they can go back home, but then said if they feel like they want their uh, their homes tested, uh, they can have them tested. I, I would have far rather they did all the testing. There's a lot of what ifs, and we're going to be looking at this thing 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the line and wondering, gee, cancer clusters could pop up, you know, well water could go bad. So his view is they nuked the town to get the, the track open. The local authorities who are trying to defend this action are saying, no, no, we did it because we were afraid that it could explode and, and cause even more danger to the residents. Either way, though, we are now being told by the authorities that the town is totally fine. It's the, the air levels, it's no big deal. The poison in the air, don't worry about it. We saw a mushroom cloud, a black mushroom cloud over this town in Ohio. But no, it's okay now. You can go back home. If you want to get your house tested, fine. But you don't, you don't need to worry about it too much. Nothing to see here. Move along, move along. Finally, Mayor Pete, who is the least successful transportation secretary in history, in, in, is, in particular in this regard, you think about all the airline problems we've had under his tenure. You think about the, this terrible disaster with the railroad under his tenure. You think about all the supply chain issues under his tenure. The, the way you know Pete Buttigieg is the least successful transportation secretary in history is he's the only one who has been notable. Name me other transportation secretaries ever in American history. I could name maybe one other one. You just don't think about the transportation secretary, except Mayor Pete is so terrible at his job. And he's, even if you don't want to blame all these problems on him, he's been so terrible in the response to these tragedies that he's actually become notable. I don't know. Maybe the reason Pete's been so slow to respond is he's, he's busy chest feeding his children. Maybe, I don't, maybe he's on, his paternity leave has gone on past six months. Maybe it's now we're approaching a year and a half. I don't know what the problem is, but the guy clearly can't do his job. So finally, now, I think it's 12 days later. I guess he, he responded yesterday. So call it 11 days after the accident. Pete Buttigieg has finally expressed his concern. Mayor Pete says, quote, I continue to be concerned about the impacts of the February 3rd train derailment near East Palestine, Ohio, and the effects on families in the 10 days since their lives were upended through no fault of their own. It's important that families have access to useful and accurate information. Yeah, that is, that is. Would have been nice if they ha had that access uh, sooner than 10 days after the accident. Might have been nice if the transportation secretary expressed his concern a little bit sooner. But they're not concerned. Nobody's really, con the, the transportation secretary is not concerned. The Biden administration is not concerned. The establishment media are not concerned. And do you know why? because of who these people are. Who lives in East Palestine, Ohio? The deplorable, irredeemable, bitter clinging, flyover country peons who don't matter to the people in Washington, D.C. or New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco. That's why. If this had happened near New York City, Washington, D.C., San Francisco, Los Angeles, you know there would have been a national state of emergency declared. You would have had all of the emergency response teams on the ground. This would be, the, the press would be all over it. But no, this is the flyover people who, oh, their water's poisoned. Oh, their air is poisoned. Oh, all their animals are dying. Eh, oh well, it's fine. 
We've, we've been calling for years for small town America to die. I guess this will just hurry up the process. Add on to this that, what was it, one or two years ago, there was a, a movie that came out called White Noise, I think, about this exact thing happening, about a train derailment and all sorts of terrible chemicals going up into the air in an Ohio town. That's kind of, that's pretty weird. And, and I don't think you need to pull out your tinfoil hat to say, oh, this is a massive conspiracy. I'm, I'm not opposed to conspiracies. Ever since COVID and the, the Dr. Fauci of it all, uh, basically, there's nothing you could tell me about our government that I wouldn't believe. But you don't need to go there. You can just point out that people, the, the people who make our culture, have a sort of fantasy that middle America flyover country just sort of goes away. Terrible things happen to them. They get a kick out of it. It's entertaining. It's amusing. But nobody really cares. Let small town America die. That's what they say. Oh, your jobs are shipped overseas. Ah, learn to code. Get out of there. Oh, you bitter claim. You're probably racist. You're, you're the kind of people, you're not the future. The future of America is in high-rise buildings, in pods, in New York, and all the big cities. Forget about Ohio. That's why. No one seems to care about this issue. To my mind, the most important news story in the country right now. No one seems to care about that because no one seems to care about those people. Certainly no one, very few people in positions of power do. If it were Martha's Vineyard, different story. Now, what is the story that the establishment media are focusing on? Well, it's the UFOs. <laughs> Look at all the UFOs. Oh boy. We had that Chinese spy balloon that Biden let fly over the whole country, but now we're just picking off objects left and right. Now, according to NBC News, the U.S. intelligence community's leading explanation for the three recent UFOs that were shot down over North America is that they were being used for commercial or benign purposes, according to the White House. So that the one that was not being used for a commercial or benign purpose, the one that was a Chinese spy balloon that was going over sensitive military targets and collecting data all across the country. That one we let keep flying. But then the other objects that Biden's plucking out of the sky right now, they're nothing. They're fine. Sounds about right. There are various theories here, and you're going to hear more of them in the coming days because the White House keeps changing its story. The new theory is that the, the Biden administration actually watched this Chinese spy balloon take off all the way over in East Asia, it took off and they followed it long before it entered U.S. airspace. And they were just tracking it. And they were jamming the communications. And don't worry, they're in control. They figured it out. And then finally, just because someone happened to see it in Montana, they had to shoot it down. But they were just, they're in control. Don't worry. Now that was, that's the news story. Before that story, we were told, oh, these Chinese spy balloons, they happen all the time. But, but we, we didn't really know about it then. But it happened under Trump. But we didn't know about it under Trump. But we now know that it happened under Trump because we want to loop Trump into the, okay. Before that was the story. The story was, oh, these Chinese spy balloons, they come across here all the time, and it's no big deal. Yeah, don't, no, we know about it. It's okay. It's no big deal. Don't, don't worry about it. And before that, it was what? We don't know what it is, and it's just pathetic. It just looks like sheer incompetence. And the, the impulse for people who believe that everything is planned out by our genius, omnipotent libs in the government, they always go to the most nefarious explanation. This is all, that's all planned. And, and, and it gives people comfort because they feel that the government is in total control. 
I don't think these guys are in total control. I think they have no idea what end is up. I'm not sure Joe Biden knows what his own name is. Speaking of the president, speaking of people who want to be president again in 2024, Joy Behar and the cackling hands at The View are somewhat impressed by one of the latest nominees for the presidency. That would be Nikki Haley. Well, she's part of the invasion of the body snatchers. You know, there are these, there are these politicians on the right who now have become like mentally crazy, you know. But her problem is that, you know, not only was she a big uh, Trump supporter, and elect, uh, she's an election denier too, isn't she? Yeah. At, one she? Point, at one point. At one point, point she was. But she changed, she flip-flopped on that. Yeah. But she also backed Herschel Walker, one of the worst candidates we've ever had. I mean, second only, may, or second only to George Santos, maybe. Yeah, you know, and, that was uh, terrifying. Yeah. actually, that she yeah. did that. So I mean, sure she's, she's going nowhere. Election fast, denier. This one. I'm not sure she's an election denier. I would check on that. Okay, there you go. This is a warning to all the other GOP candidates. It doesn't matter how much they like you. It doesn't matter how much you do to try to earn some favor with the liberal press. They will always turn on you. That phrase that Joy Behar said at the beginning, it's like invasion of the body snatchers. This is what you always hear. Sometimes for some of the Republicans who the libs like, or at least pretend to like, while those Republicans are serving their purposes, saying certain liberal things, attacking certain conservative candidates, the moment that you pose any kind of threat to them, they will say, oh, this person's totally changed. This person's totally changed. The libs love Mitt Romney now because Mitt Romney's a big squish and he, he parrots their talking points. The, the libs loved Mitt Romney before 2008, after he was governor of Massachusetts, before he was a Republican nominee, back when he was taking on some of the other Republicans in 2008. The libs really liked him. And then he got the nomination for the GOP. And then he posed a threat to Barack Obama. And then he was a monster. He was, he was Patrick Bateman. He was trying to kill gay boys in high school. Do you remember that thing? They said he cut the hair of a homosexual teenager or something. Oh, and the dog, he tried to torture his dog on the family car. And they'll just, and that's what they're doing now to Nikki Haley, who Nikki Haley was a somewhat centrist kind of governor in South Carolina. Then she worked for the Trump administration, but she managed to have decent support among the moderates and also among Trump supporters and then she came out against Trump after the administration, after January 6th. And then she, but then she defended Trump again. And so she's, she's done a, actually a relatively decent job of maintaining some kind of support uh, in, in different quarters, but not, but not very intense support, which is why you're not seeing her jump up in the polls to the position of a Ron DeSantis or a Donald Trump right now. But she should be one of the more acceptable people to The View, if for no other reason than that she is a woman and The View is a show about empowering women. And yet, they see Nikki Haley, she's running to be the GOP nominee. Okay, she's dead to us. She's crazy. It's invasion of the body snatchers. No more strange new respect. Now, despite the lackluster economy, maybe, maybe in spite of it, The Daily Wire is thriving. Not only that, we're hiring. We are currently looking for a senior financial analyst to join our growing financial planning and analysis team who will play a critical role in developing actionable insights at a rapid pace to inform key decisions. This person will get the opportunity to be a key player in helping to shape the Daily Wire's FP&A processes, working closely with senior leaders of our finance team 
More than two years' experience of relevant finance and FP&A corporate development, investment analysis, or investment banking are required. The ideal candidate also has strong interpersonal skills with the ability to work cross-functionally as well as advanced financial modeling skills in Excel. The position is based in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information and to apply, go to dailywire.com careers. That's dailywire.com careers today. Speaking of Republicans, George Santos. George Santos, our favorite Republican, is back in the news. He was charged with a dog-related theft in 2017. This according to the Washington Examiner. Representative George Santos was found to have been charged with theft related to Amish dog breeders in, in 2017. Are the Amish known for, I know they're known for their cabinets and their barns and their, I didn't know they were known for dog breeding. Uh, the charges were dropped though and his record was expunged. A lawyer friend of Santos who helped him with the charge told Politico about the revelation it was then confirmed by a representative from York County District Court in Pennsylvania. Uh, he was charged with theft by deception, but he beat the charge and had that record expunged. He claimed his checkbook had been stolen and that the $15,125 in checks were not written by him. But now some people say he was lying. And after the checks were addressed to the Amish dog breeders, Santos held a large adoption event with his animal rescue charity, Friends of Pets United, at the Staten Island Pet Store, Pet Oasis. And, and, and I don't know. And I don't know. And I don't, and I don't really care. I've said it before about George Santos. George Santos, to me, his political success is like a bad joke. A bad joke starts out a little tiny bit funny. And then the more you tell it, it becomes much, much less funny. But then, paradoxically, the more you tell it, the much, 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 much funnier it becomes. That's how I feel about Santos. Santos gets elected. You say, hey, all right, we got a Republican here elected in New York. We got a razor thin majority already. This is, this is cool. He's, caught, he's obviously a squish, but you know, whatever, it's fine. It's fine. Oh, um, overall net positive. And then you find out, oh, he lied about his education. Oh, that's good. Oh, he's a liar. That's too bad. Oh, and he lied about his employment history. Oh, that's too bad. Oh, and he, he might not even be a gay guy. He might, have, he might have been married to a woman, in it, which I guess is more traditional. I guess that's kind of a, I guess maybe that ticks him up a little bit. And then he got divorced and now he's pretending to be a gay guy and, or he maybe is, I, I don't know. And oh, and he lied about his uh, criminal record maybe. Oh, and he lied about his political positions. Oh, and he lied about, whoop, okay, we're back. It's fine. And he might be under indictment in Brazil. Oh, this is getting funnier again. Oh, and he lied about Amish dog breeding. And okay, this is really, really funny. At this point, there is pretty much nothing that George Santos could do that would make me demand that he resign. Because it's all out there. And this is, by the way, probably the main argument for Trump in 2024. The main argument against Trump in 2024 is that he's got so much baggage. And there are lots of people who just don't like him. And he turns a lot of people off. And that's that. Strong argument. But the argument for Trump in 2024 is also, he's got so much baggage and we know about it. 
And it's all out there. And they've thrown the kitchen sink at him, and they've made up a bunch of stuff about him, and it's been proven to have been made up about him, and it is what it is. For the other candidates, we don't know how much real baggage they've got. We don't know what new baggage the libs are going to invent about them. We don't know how resilient they're going to be in the face of that. I am real. Some people think that I'm pushing Trump and that I've, I've actually made a decision. I'm endorsing Trump in 2020. That is not the case. I am. It might seem more that way when I talk about it because I haven't picked one of the other candidates to go sign up on the campaign for. I am just trying to call it like I see it. Okay. I'm not saying one of these two options is better than the other, the case for or against Trump. The only point I'm making is it's the same case. It's the same argument. And you're seeing it at an extreme degree in George Santos. George Santos is not going to really be pressured to step down. The more that the the press attack him, actually the more that it helps him. The more that you see those press squabbles all around him, screaming, yelling, George, it makes Republicans like him more. Even if Republicans look at him, they say, there's like almost nothing about you that I like as a politician. You're pretty much a squish. You're obviously a liar. You can't be trusted. But the fact that the, the libs are gunning for him so much, it will increase his support. And you will see similar phenomena play out at the presidential level as well. Speaking of crimes, this is a story I meant to get to last week and I didn't have time to do it. Uh, Marilyn Manson, the, the uh, famous rock star, uh, Satanist weirdo guy, is accused of sexually assaulting a 16-year-old on a tour bus and threatened to kill that woman's family. This apparently in the 1990s. So it was a long time ago. I know with a lot of these stories, when they just happen to come out 30 years later, it it makes us all a bit skeptical of it, especially because a lot of these people are just seeking money and they're, you know, at different points in their life, you say, why didn't, why didn't the story come out sooner? In this story, though, I think Marilyn Manson actually had talked about it in the past. I think in a, in a different time, in a different era, Marilyn Manson had kind of bragged about some of these things. I, I'm, I don't have anything really to say about the story other than it's always the ones you most expect. <laughs> you know, hold on, you're telling me that the Satanist rock star who is f- infamously uh, weird about his sex and there are all sorts of weird rumors about his sexuality is kind of bizarrely androgynous and he dresses up like a demon and he flaunts his immorality. You're telling me that guy might have done some weird bad stuff? Oh man, if you can't trust the demon looking Satanist rock stars, who can you trust these days? So it really often is the ones that you most expect. You see this in the culture. Now, in the whole culture, when you see some weirdo usually dressed up like a demon, usually with lots of weird sexual hangups, show up to a drag queen story hour, show up to a middle school, and then you find out, oh, actually, this person has a a criminal record sexually abusing children. You you look at that, you say, well, what did you think was going to happen? We actually, our perceptions tell us a lot of things about the real world. I know in our in our modern culture, we're told, don't believe your eyes. Don't believe, don't believe what you feel in your gut. Don't believe your prejudices. There's nothing worse than prejudice. But actually, all of those things are essential to making any judgment whatsoever, to, to acting in life at all. Prejudice, not in the sense of an unjust bigotry, but prejudice in the sense of going along about your life making prejudgments is essential to getting along in the world. This is one of the 
one of the most important aspects of politics, according to a conservative philosopher like Edmund Burke. This is part of the conservative mind. You have to prejudge. You need prejudice. You need to be able to trust your sensory perceptions, at least to some degree. Things often are what they seem. You can very often, not always, but you can very often judge a book by its cover. And speaking of Satanism, want to just spike the football on this a little bit. We talked all last week about the, the, the Grammy show with Sam Smith dancing around like a, like a big lesbian devil. And then all of the people in the audience, including the first lady, just guffawing, just so thrilled, giving all sorts of plaudits. The, the numbers are in. That Grammys was a ratings catastrophe. The, the total viewers was 12.4 million. To put that in perspective, just three years ago, the Grammys drew 18.7 million viewers. And at the time, that was considered a ratings disaster. 18.7 million is 50% higher than this last Grammys awards. What does it tell you? It tells you what happens when you make a deal with the devil. Often when people make a deal with the devil, it doesn't seem quite so on the nose as what Sam Smith did. You're usually not dancing around as an actual devil. But the thing about the Faustian bargain, the thing about the deal with the devil is you think, all right, I'm going to do this immoral action, but it's going to get me a lot of money. And then I won't have to do immoral actions anymore. Or I'm going to, I'm going to commit this immoral action, but it's going to get me my career. You know, it's the casting couch in Hollywood, or it's marrying for, for ignoble reasons, or it's committing some crime. You know, I don't know, you're, you're, you're Raskolnikov in Crime and Punishment. You take the axe to the poor old lady's head, but then you're not going to have to worry about it anymore. And you, but the thing is, the deal with the devil, one, is never worth it. It's never worth trading your soul for anything. But two, the deal with the devil doesn't even work out in this life. That's the joke of it all. You don't end up getting the thing that you want. Things go terribly wrong, not only in the hereafter, but in this life too. You make the deal with the devil. You're Sam Smith, a generally sort of charming British musician. And then you say, okay, I'm going to sell out and become a Satanist. And that's going to revive my career. And then, but actually, no. The Grammy says we're going to have a devil performance sponsored by Pfizer. And that's going to revive the Grammys. No, it's not. It, it not only compromises your <laughs> eternal being, it doesn't even work now. 50% ratings down from just three years ago. You'll love to see it. You'll love to see it with a little bit of schadenfreude. The rest of the show continues now. It's Woke Wednesday. We have got uh, some really great woke content that producer Ben Davies insists that I react to. He thinks that it will scandalize me. He thinks that it will shock me. Very little shocks me anymore, so we'll see about that. Become a member right now at dailywire.com slash Knowles. Use code Knowles at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.